0: Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for uh, just a new day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, that um, you are worthy to be praised. You're worthy of our time. And no matter where we are, Lord, we can worship you that you are there with us. We thank you, Lord God. Father, we pray as we take this time in your word, we pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, uplift us, Lord. And we give you this time, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So, we're starting in Philippians, our new study before we get into that, how many you have ever been uh, caught in a storm? Any of you guys ever been caught in a storm? Yeah. Now, here in SoCal, uh, we don't get a lot of extreme storms over here, right? In other parts of the country, they get some violent storms, right? You got some hurricanes, tornadoes, and pretty violent uh, thunderstorms and stuff. Here, not so much. We're not really worried about storms, right? We, we pray for rain, right? We want, we complain there's no rain, and then when rain comes, we complain that it's raining usually. That's the case, right? Usually if rain uh, goes on for more than two days here in Southern California, we start to complain. I think that's our threshold. We can take two days of rain, and after those two consecutive days, we're kind of like, all right, God, that's enough for us. You know, we, we, we want our sunshine in 80 degree, 75 degree weather. Usually that's the case, but... Um, I don't know if you've ever been in that storms and whether you're in an airplane, how many you flew on a plane and you flew through a storm? That could be a little, you know, a little tense moment, right? You feel you're going through the clouds and you feel the rain pounding on the, the windows and you're, 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 your plane shakes a little bit. Have you ever driven in a rainstorm or a storm before, right? Have you been so bad where your windshield wipers are going, but it, it can't go fast enough? All you see is the rain, you see the gloomy clouds, you see the maybe you hear the thunder, and it's all you see about the storm it's just everything around you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't gone through a storm, but maybe just your life itself, your circumstances can feel like a storm. I don't know how many of you can relate to that. Where everything's going on around you, it feels like a storm. Because you can feel like the wind or the pressure around you. And all you see sometimes is just the gloomy clouds, the dark clouds. And you're just like, when will this storm pass? When will it stop? Maybe you can relate to experience like that. Well, when we start our, our study in Philippians, we want to understand the context of what's going on. Paul the Apostle is writing this letter while he is imprisoned. He's imprisoned as he's writing this letter. I would, I would be safe to say that this is a trying time for Paul. He's imprisoned and he's writing to the church. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we tend to uphold these superheroes of faith like the Apostle Paul. How many of you feel like you can relate to the Apostle Paul? I don't know. Sometimes we feel like we can't relate to him. He's just, we hold him up into a pedestal. That's the Apostle Paul. Not like us. But what we're going to see as we, as we look into this letter, Paul is a much more relatable to us than we may think. Even as great of a faith as Apostle Paul, even he relied and needed support from others as great a faith as apostle paul had even he needed support from other people so we want to keep that in context and we're going to see that as paul writes he's writing this ledger his support the fruit of his ministry okay and what we can what can we glean from paul right we're going to Sometimes we may take for granted that this is the context, this is the environment that Paul's in. He is in a trying time, but he's taking the time to write this letter to the Philippian believers. Now just a little background, the church in Philippi, okay, Philippi was located in modern day Greece. I don't know if you can see in the map, but you see in the top left corner the arrows there, that's where Philippi is located, okay, so Philippi was, was a city that was fortified in 358 to 57 B.C. by Philip II of Macedon. He was the father of Alexander the Great. So by the time Paul is writing this letter, Philippi is an ancient city, okay? After the Roman victory over the Persians, I know there's a little bit of a history lesson, but just some background. In 168 B.C., Philippi became part of the Roman Empire, And it was one of the stations along the main overland road. It connected Rome to eastern Asia. So if you go back and look. Where where is it? Oh, sorry. If you go back, Rome is off the map. And where Philippi is. So Philippi was one of the cities, the stops, that bridged from Rome to the east. Okay? Philippi was inhabited by primarily Romans. But many Macedonian, Macedonian Greeks were there, and Jews lived there as well. So you can imagine, Philippi was home of a lot of paganism, a lot of idolatry. Paul visited Philippi in, during one of his missionary visits to Rome, and you can read that in Acts 16, verse 12. Okay, so there's a little background of the city. The letter itself, as we read it, it reads very much like a missionary's letter. I don't know if you have how many have ever supported a missionary before? And they sent you a letter, a support letter, right? Maybe they updated you what's going on. Maybe they prayed or they asked for prayer about certain things. The Philippians very much reads like a missionary's letter to his supporters, or maybe a pastor writing to his congregation. And this was written now there's some question about where Paul was imprisoned at the time. There's four possibilities. He could have been imprisoned in Rome, could have been in Ephesus, could have been in Corinth or Caesarea. There's some there's some debate about it. It's not a big deal, but the dating of the letter depends upon where you may think that he was imprisoned, right? The dating of it of the letter is somewhere between 54 AD to 63 AD. Now, really, the importance of it, and this is really significant, is if we can date the writing of the letters of the New Testament within this time frame, it's really significant because it means that these letters and everything that's written, the doctrine, the understanding of the Christian faith, began within the first century. In other words, it began within the generation that would have been eyewitnesses to Jesus. Eyewitnesses to what he did. Eyewitnesses to the the hearing of the resurrection crucifixion, the ministry of Jesus. You think, why is that significant for us today? Well, if people ask you about the validity of the Christian faith, well, oh no, that's just something that people made up centuries after Jesus was born. You say, no. Look at the letters of Paul. Look at the gospel. They wrote within the first generation of those who were with Jesus, who heard Jesus, who saw what he did. They would have been able to testify. It would have been easy for people to denounce the Christian faith or denounce who Jesus was because they all were within that generation of time. So it's significant that we can place a date, a range of when these letters were written. It was written within the first generation of when Jesus ministered. He, he was crucified and rose again. So there's some significance with that. So if you have your Bibles, just a little bit of a background as you get to it. We're going to read in Philippians we're going to read from chapter 1. I'm going to read it through first. I don't have the slides to read it through, but we're going to circle back to the verse, and that's when we'll have it. So hopefully you have your books, or your books, your Bibles, and you can read along with me. We'll start in verse 1. So Paul and, and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We'll stop there for today. Now this is just the introduction. This is just Paul's introduction and greetings as he's writing this letter. Look at verse 1 how Paul greets the church in Philippi. He says, "Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons." Now, Paul begins his letter with a customary greeting. He introduces himself, right? But here he includes Timothy. He says, "Paul and Timothy." Sorry if I'm getting too close to the mic here. Paul and Timothy, how does he introduce himself? He says he is the bondservant of Christ Jesus. Now, in two other letters, Paul refers to himself as a bondservant. In the introduction, introduction of Romans and introduction of Titus, he introduces himself, he refers to himself as a bondservant. In other words, a slave, someone who gives himself up to the will of another. That's how he introduces himself. I am a slave to Christ Jesus. I give myself up to the will of Jesus Christ. Now, you think about being a Christian, we all like the idea of being a child of God, right? That's a good feeling, right? You are a child of God. How many of us, we like the image of being a saint, right? As followers of Christ, we are saints. That sounds good, right? Isn't that encouraging to know that you are a saint as a believer in Christ? Some of us can even... We even like the idea of being a believer and a follower of Christ. We can stomach being a follower of Christ. That still sounds good. How many of us are encouraged by the idea that you are a slave to Christ? Is that encouraging? How about that as a nice recruiting tool? You go to your unbeliever friends and say, you know what? We just really want you to be a slave to Christ. Right? That's not very encouraging to people, right? No one likes the idea of being a slave. But the reality is, we're all slaves. We're all slaves. We're either a slave to our flesh and sinful desires. In other words, we, can, we can't help it. We live for our sinful, selfish desires. Whatever our body wants, that's what it compels us to do. We're either a slave to our selfish desires or We proclaim Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying he is our master. Right? We are his servants. We are his slaves. Jesus is our master. We're either a slave to the world's mentality. We talked a lot about that in our other series. We're a slave to the way the world thinks, the way the world operates, the way the world wants you to believe. Or we can be surrendering our minds to the Lord. Right? We talked about that a lot in the last series. We can choose to allow God to transform and change our thinking. So we either serve one or the two. So we can't confuse Christianity. It's really important that Christianity is not a faith of convenience. Paul makes that clear for himself. We may not not all be Paul, right? But Jesus didn't call us to live just a simple uh, lifestyle of convenience and comfort either. People get that confused. People think just because you're a Christian, that means God's going to give you everything you want, everything's going to be comfortable, he's going to be your servant, and he's going to give you whatever you please. But that's really not the picture that we see of the Christian faith. For Paul, he says, I am a bondservant of Christ. He proudly identifies himself I am a slave to Christ. I am imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. I am unashamed to surrender my life to the Lord. That's how he wants to be referred to. And he starts off this letter like this. But he says he's thankful. What is he thankful for in verse 3? I don't know where this is going. Did I do that? Okay, there you go. Look at Paul's thankfulness in verse 3. He continues, he greets, he introduces himself, right? And he says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So he introduced himself as my Apostle Paul, or I, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you, the Philippian church, you and the overseers and the deacons of the church, you leaders as well. I'm writing to you. And the first thing he wants to say is I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. Look at this partnership that Paul says. this relationship Paul has with the Philippian church. He thanks God whenever he thinks of them. I thank God for you. When I pray with you, I'm joyful. I'm filled with joy whenever I pray for you, when I think of you. Now think about it, isn't that a, a very amazing thought? Is there anyone in your life that when you think of them, It just brings joy to your heart. Bring a smile to your face. When you think to pray for them, it's just like, oh Lord, I'm so thankful for them. And you pray for them with joy. You don't have to raise your hands, but I don't know how many of you have someone like that in your life. Does that seem like a rarity today? That when you think of someone, you're just, Lord, thank you for them. And Lord, I just pray for them and just joy fills your heart. How many of us can say that we can be that person for somebody? I don't know if you know it or not. But can we be someone that when they think of us, they just say, God, thank you for them. Thank you for putting them in my life. And Lord, when I pray for them, just joy fills my heart about them. Wouldn't you think that in trying times, wouldn't that be a, a, just an amazing thing to have in our lives? That when you're going through trying times and you think of someone and it just encourages you to say, Lord, thank you for them. Why would Paul be so thankful for this church? He goes on and talks about why. He says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, Why is he so thankful? Why does joy fill his heart? He says because when he thinks of it, of their view of, your, of their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That word participation is that word that we, we studied in, first, in uh, Romans, right? Koinonia, describing the sharing in the gospel. That same word we talked about where we get the word fellowship. Paul says, I'm thankful for your participation, your koinonia, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what's Paul referring to there? Now, certainly there's a common faith that they have. But I think that word is, is meaning something a little bit more fuller. It's not just that we have a shared faith in the gospel, there's this shared participation in the gospel, something that you are sharing with me. And you've been doing it from the first day until now. A likely meaning that Paul is referring to is that he's acknowledging their support in the ministry. Their support in the ministry from the first day until now. He's thankful to God. It fills his heart with joy when he prays for them because he thinks of their support for him in the gospel, the ministry from the, first, from the very first day. Made me think, you know, ministry is truly a partnership, right? The minister, whether it's a missionary or a pastor, is not a lone actor in ministry. He's not or she's not the only one who's doing ministry. Those who support the minister, the missionary, the one who's doing the work of God, they are participants in the ministry. Have you ever thought of that? When you give support, whether it's a missionary or to a pastor, you are contributing, you are participating in the ministry. When you give offering to church, now this is not a message about giving, so you can relax. I'm not going to guilt you or anything. But when you give to the church, yes, you're giving to the Lord, absolutely, but you're also giving in participation of the ministry. You're giving your support to whatever ministry that takes place. That is the koinonia that we can experience, another dynamic of it. So what you give in support to someone who's ministering, it's like your participation in that ministry. See, Paul understood his mission as an evangelist and as an apostle. He understood that mission, but he also understood he couldn't do it by himself. He's not out by himself doing ministry. He understood the importance of having support from the brethren. In pastoral ministry, people become the face of your labor. What do I mean by that? It can be challenging as a pastor or a missionary to measure effectiveness of your ministry because you're dealing with people's lives, right? People's spiritual lives, their faith. And sometimes it can be challenging to measure, well, Lord, how well am I doing? I'm looking at it and, gosh, you know, I don't know. Are they where they need to be in their faith? People become the face of your labor, of your ministry. You're so dependent upon the support and the cooperation of other people. Right. I can stand up here and and speak to a camera. I can speak to, to be in this room. But if none of you are here, I'm kind of speaking to myself. But your presence here, your support here, is contributing to the ministry of those who may be being ministered to. Does that make sense? And so Paul here, he's encouraged and he's thankful for the faith and support of the believers in Philippi. The gospel is not just something that they believe, but they are supporting. And they're supporting by living out their faith. They're supporting the ministry. And what a joy it was for Paul to be even in his trying times, being in prison, he thinks of them. And joy fills his heart. He's thankful because of their support and what he's doing. Now, I don't know... Those of you who are in school, can you imagine being friends with your teachers in high school when you get older? Does that seem to be a weird thing? Some of you are saying, yeah, that's kind of strange. I have the privilege of having calling someone a friend who was my old Bible teacher. I went to a Christian school in high school. And uh, one year, you know, when we transitioned into the valley, I was kind of scoping. You know, we were praying about where to send our kids to school. And I went to my, I drove by my old high school and they were having an open house so I thought, I wonder who's still there. I walked into the gym, and there I saw my old Bible teacher from 7th grade and 12th grade. I thought, you know what, he probably doesn't recognize me, but I want to at least say hello. So we started talking, and I know he didn't recognize me. I'm pretty sure he didn't recognize me. But when we started talking, he, was, he didn't want to know, or he, his primary reason to talk, it wasn't that so he wanted to know whether I was married I'm sure it was nice for him to know, but he wasn't so concerned about whether I had kids or what I was doing for a living. You know what he wanted to know? What was pressing to him most of all? Where was I with the Lord? Where was my faith? And when I told him that I was in ministry, I was a pastor, he was so overjoyed to hear that. Fast forward and, you know, uh, some, about a month ago I had uh, breakfast with him. Can you imagine having breakfast with your teacher? Is that a weird concept? So we invited. We have this friendship, and he's just a great support to me. And, and um, we're, we're talking and stuff. And then he said, you want to see my library? And I, I, I said, sure. We went up. We saw his library just filled with books, theological books, Christian books, every sort of kind. It filled the room. Some of his shelves were layered. There's like three books in, in his shelf. And he showed me another room and it showed all this photo albums of all the places he visited around the world. Different opportunities to share Christ. And then he showed me some pictures. And this is where he got really excited. These pictures were of former students. And they weren't just any former students, they're ones that he can say, and this person. Man, they have a great relationship with the Lord. This person is doing this for the Lord, and this person is doing this for the Lord. It overjoyed him. He was overjoyed with the thought of, yeah, these people—they're serving God. I could relate to that as a pastor. Pastors, we can relate to because we're, we're we're investing in people's lives and their spiritual lives. And when I hear of somebody who I was a pastor to years later who are still walking with the Lord, it is so encouraging. It's such a blessing to hear. And then if they if I hear that they're in ministry, they're serving, or maybe they're a pastor, oh my goodness. That just fills your heart with joy like look, not that you're doing anything, it, but it's just like wow, what an encouragement. On the flip side, that can be disheartening. It's hard to hear. When there's people that you've pastored, you've ministered to, who are not walking with the Lord. They're not where they should be. It breaks your heart. But see, Paul, he understood. And as he's writing this letter in prison, he's thinking of the church in Philippi. And he says, I'm so thankful for you and your participation in the gospel, your support in the ministry and he's confident what is he confident for in verse 6 it goes on and says he says for i am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus what is paul confident in He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God will continue his work until fully completed in the day of Christ Jesus. When that day comes, whether Jesus comes to judge and to reign, when it's all said and done, until then, God will continue his work until it's completed. Now there's two ways to to read this verse. In verse 6, where it says, um, He's confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ There's two ways to interpret, to interpret that. You can read it as he who began a good work in you. When you read it as in you, it would seem to refer to the work that God does in the believer in Christ, right? I'm confident in this very thing that he who began the work in you, so the work that God is doing in you will be completed or he'll continue to complete until the day of Christ. There's a second way to read it. You can read it as he who began a work by you. If you read it as he who began a good work by you, it would seem to refer to their support in the ministry that God is doing. He's confident this very thing. He who began a work by you will be faithful to complete it. See the two differences? Now, admittedly, Every time I read this before, I always saw it as, he who began a good work in you. Paul's referring to, look, you as the believers, what God has started in you will be faithful to complete it. He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I always saw it that way. But I'm leaning more, I'm convinced more of the second option. That he who began a work by you will complete it. Now, why do I think so? Look at it in context here. Paul, he's expressing his thankfulness to God while what? He's in hardship. He is in prison. He is someone that he started this church. He witnessed. He ministered. He led this church, this congregation of Philippi to the Lord. And he goes off and they're supporting him. But here he is writing in prison. He's saying, I'm thankful for the support. I'm thankful for you. With joy, I pray for you. So it would make sense that if Paul's in prison and he's writing to this congregation who's been supporting him from the very beginning, that he wants to assure them, assure them, what, he, what is he confident? That whatever God began by you, whatever you supported from the beginning, I am confident that he is going to complete it. This is not the end of it. I may be in prison, but this isn't going to be the end of the ministry. This isn't the conclusion of all the support that you have given into the ministry. Now you think, well, I don't know, Pastor Mike. I've heard it all all along about in you. Well, I want us to understand. That doesn't take away the principle. Whether you see it as in you or by you, it certainly doesn't take away the principle that God certainly does the work in us, right? That we are always constantly under construction, God will complete the work that he is doing in us. When we receive Christ, I think we should receive a sign that says road work ahead. Right? God is going to continue to do a work in us. Some of us may need some of these kind of signs. Right? Maybe we should have been warned. Those little warning signs, caution, warning construction area ahead. Some of us needed a warning. God is going to do some construction work in us. Some of us, we need a warning sign from other people, right? Warning high voltage or temporary closed for construction. Some of us, we like to want to have that sign in our lives. Okay, we came to Christ, but we're going to be closed under construction. Don't bother me for a little bit. I need to have some stuff to work on. All to say that there's certainly the principle that we are all a work in progress. None of us are finished products. We can take encouragement knowing that we are all a work in progress in progress. No matter how old you are, if you've been a believer for decades or years and you feel discouraged that you're not where you should be, look, God is working in you. You are a work in progress. Maybe you're a young believer. You just became a Christian or you're just starting to learn what it means to follow Christ. God is speaking to you and you are a work in progress. Likewise, ministry is a work in progress. This church is a work in progress. And there is a great hope. However you interpret that verse, in you or by you, there is a principle that that covers both. That God is doing the work and He will complete it. Paul goes on he talks about his affections in verse 7. His relationship with the believers. He says in verse 7, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you. Because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Look at this affection that Paul says, he longs for them. I feel this way for you all. I feel encouraged, I'm thankful for you all. The reason why I feel this way, I have you in my heart. Since in both imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. We're in this together. For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's feelings for his congregation in Philippi, this congregation here, these believers here, it's not just, oh, I I love you, I, I feel good about you. Remember, he's in prison. I don't know if you've, if, hopefully you've not been in prison before. I almost ask how many you have been in prison. All right, hopefully you don't have a little show of hands. But in your trying times, when you're feeling low, or circumstances aren't what they, you want them to be, maybe what you envision them to be, you may not always feel thankful. You may not always feel joyful. But when Paul in his imprisonment is thinking of these believers, his heart fills with joy. Where does that come from? When we're in trying times, where does the joy come from? Sorry, moved back. My thumb hit it. For what God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. His deep longing for them comes from the heart of Jesus. His feelings for them isn't from his own heart. But in the heart of Jesus, the affections of Jesus... The love that he experienced from God compels him to love the congregation. He is drawing from the love that he experiences from God. He knows the love that Jesus has for them, and he loves them with that same love. He goes on, And this I pray. That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul is saying, Look, I long for you. When I think of you, I'm so thankful for you. My heart fills with joy when I think of your support, your participation in the ministry. I long to see you. My heart is filled with longing for you that comes from Christ. And then he goes on, he, this prayer, he says, This is what I pray for you, that your love may abound still more and more. He prays that they would have an abounding love in real knowledge and all discernment. What is he praying? That you will experience the love of God. But notice, the love of God isn't just feelings. The love of God that comes in real knowledge and all discernment. To love God is to love God with the heart, but also the mind. To love others is to love others with the heart, but also with our mind God's love does not abandon discernment God's love does not abandon our mind I don't know if you heard the catchphrase today that goes around love is love right we've heard that around we see signs that say love is love but contrary to popular catchphrases not all love is the same love right The greatest love we can express is God's love. That's the greatest love we can express. If we want to love somebody, the greatest expression of love that we can have is a love that comes from God. And God's love does not abandon reasoning. It does not abandon the mind. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Love discerns what is good, what leads people to the Father. That's the love that we should have. Not all love is the same. People think they may love them, but they may not realize what they're doing. God's love comes, and not only from the heart, but it comes with knowledge and the perception of the intellect. How do I make decisions? He goes on in verse 10, So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. See, the point of God's love isn't just to make us feel good about what we do. The world's love today, the world will tell you love, means to just allow you and support and accept whatever will make you feel good. If it makes you feel good, if it makes you feel comfortable, then I will show love by just supporting and embracing whatever you do. But see, that's not God's love. The point, of, as Paul is talking about, I want you to abound in love and all knowledge and discernment so that you can approve the things that are excellent, so that you can know the decisions that you make is right, is excellent. Is pleasing to God. See, the love of God leads people to the Father. Showing the love of God leads people to them. It leads them to make decisions that are excellent, that are godly. He goes on, In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. See, Paul's prayer to the church, I want the love of God, I want you to abound and abound in love, In knowledge and discernment, so that you can prove what is excellent, so that you can be found blameless before God when He comes. See what the end game is for the love of God? God's love leads us to righteousness, to have the fruit of righteousness, to be able to discern in this world what is the right decision to make. That's Paul's prayer. As Paul is is praying, is thinking, thinking about all his supporters in Philippi. His heart is filled with joy because they're supporting him in ministry. And his prayer is like, look, this is what I pray for. How many of you have ever been asked, can you pray for me? When someone is going through trying times. Maybe you're going through trying times. You ask somebody, can you pray for me? What do we often pray for? What do we often hope for? We often hope that God would take away the situation, right? Move us out of the storm so we're not in the storm anymore. Part the clouds. Calm the seas. Die down the winds. Paul's heart is that, look, I'm gonna, this is what I pray for you. He's starting this letter. I pray this for you. I pray that your love would abound and abound, would exceed. It would be pouring out in all real knowledge and wisdom, so that you can know that you would experience God's love and you, that God's love will guide you and lead you to be able to discern what is the right thing to do, that you could be found in righteousness before God. That's God's love. That's at the heart of Paul's prayer. It's probably a little different from how we pray. So I don't know if you can relate to any of these storms. Maybe... Your current condition of life resembles some of these pictures of some pretty bad storms. I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But when we're in the midst of that, whether we're in the storm or we know somebody in the storm, we can learn from Paul's context here while he's in prison what his message is to his supporters, what his message is to the fellow believers in Philippi. He acknowledges, one, to be present. Now, this red, white, and blue, I know it kind of looks kind of weird. It resembles more like the French flag, I think. But I was trying to be, you know, in the spirit of Olympics, you have a little red, white, and blue. All right, maybe it didn't pull off right. But something to think about, what we can learn from Paul in the context. We mentioned this in the previous series about being present we all need support when experiencing various storms and trials. Paul was not excluded from that. He needed his supporters. And he was so thankful for them. We can be present with someone and find someone. If you're in that storm, you need someone to be present with you. Find somebody. Find somebody. Find someone who's willing to be present with you, who can be that support. Us as pastors, we need you all to be present, not only on Sundays. it's great for you guys to be present here on Sunday. I'm so thankful that you guys are here on a Sunday. It would be kind of lonely for me and Pastor Andy to just be here by ourselves. We're thankful that you're watching online, whatever it may be. Because that's support to us. It encourages us. I don't feel alone standing up here, but while you're looking at me, you are participating in the ministry that goes on in this church. And even in individual lives, if someone's in a storm, you can be there in the midst with them. You may not be experiencing it yourselves, but to be present there with them. The second thing, be a partner in ministry. Realize your support for someone in ministry goes a long way. We had a couple Zoom meeting, prayer meetings with a couple missionaries. And they shared their requests and their needs. When you give your offering, part of the offering when we give to the church is budgeted to missions. Not just the ministry of our pastors, not just the ministry of the church here, but the missions that goes on over there. What we give to the missionaries, we may not be in the mission field where they are. But our contribution to them is our participation, our koinonia, our fellowship of the ministry that's happening where they are. So what you're giving in, you're participating in the ministry that goes out. Third thing, pray. But pray deeper. Just because you're in a storm doesn't excuse you from being able to pray for other people. But if you're in, you know somebody who's in a storm, you can pray for them. But pray for them deeper. Look at Paul's prayer. He doesn't just pray for the circumstances to go away. But when he prays for the congregation, the people there, he says, I pray that you would abound in the love of God more and more, that the love of God will lead you to righteousness before him. An applicable, relatable prayer would be this. If I pray for you, ask me, you know, Pastor Mike, keep pray for me. I'm going through some struggles. I'm going through these things. Don't be offended if my primary prayer for you isn't that it would just go away, but that God would give you all that you need, and you would know God's love so much that you would know what to do and what to say in a given moment in time. That when it all passes, when you stand before God, that you can stand before God accountable for how you lived. Say, God, I handled myself the right way. I'm blameless before you in how I conducted myself. So when we pray for each other, pray deeper. Not just things change, but that our hearts change. As we continue in Philippians, we're going to keep this in mind of context. Paul's in prison, and there's going to be all sorts of things that we're going to talk about and how we can relate. And we're going to see where the Lord takes us in our study. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, as we come before you, I'm thankful for this model in Paul that even in trials, his heart extends to his supporters, the church in Philippi. I'm thankful for, Lord, partnership and ministry. That we're not out on our own doing things in ministry on our own. But That, Lord, you've given us support. Help us, Lord God, to support those who are in ministry. Support those who are in need. We pray for the missionaries that are out there that we are supporting. Lord, we pray you be in their context. Be in their environment, Lord. Equip them, embolden them, Lord. Strengthen them, encourage them, Lord God. May we be a congregation that not only does minister ourselves, but supports those who are ministering locally and abroad. We thank you, Lord Jesus. For your goodness, in Jesus' name, amen.